put your hands together as we give um, GT welcome to our friend Godwin. So, Godwin, before you talk to the members of Great Tidings Church, I want you to know that these are people that God has assembled for today. Talk to them as the Lord leads you. Amen. Well, good morning, Glad Tidings. Oh, it's, it's afternoon now. I'm sorry. I've been traveling the length and breadth of this country that sometimes I lose my bearings if it's a Monday or Tuesday. So I totally apologize. Let me, before I go any further, say a big thank you and God bless you to Pastor Rennie and uh, Sister Smith, Smith, right? Uh, you guys are blessed with this wonderful couple. And many times, yes, let's appreciate them. <laughs> Having been a pastor for many years, it's easy to take for granted something you are too used to. But I'm here to challenge and to encourage you to adore and encourage this wonderful couple because they are doing a great job. I've known Pastor Rennie and Smitha for many, many years. I've been in um, some kind of connection with glad tidings since the days of Pastor Greg and then Pastor Selwyn and then now you. I think in between there was one pastor I missed. So I'm not a stranger. I feel, I feel at home. If I live somewhere around Massachusetts, I think that this would definitely be my church home. So thank you for having me again. Before I bring the word of God, let me also acknowledge my dear siblings from a different womb, the Boabins, and then, uh, oh my goodness, I say Auntie D, you know, the Auntie D rings in my mind. Okay, so the Boabins have been I've been friends. We grew up in the, in the Assembly of God way back in Ghana. We've done some ministry in the trenches. And we didn't even know that God was going to bring us here and our path we're going to cross. Somewhere along the line, Barbara came here. David went to Korea and I was in the bush in Ghana. But in God's own sovereignty, he brought us all together. And uh, the reason why I'm here today is because uh, they have been like brothers, they've been like sisters, and uh, we've done ministry together. So I just want to say thank you. Anytime I come, they spoil me so much that when I go back home, I have to check into a rehab <laughs> <laughs> to kind of normalize my system. <laughs> so thank you, thank you. Glad tidings, you have no clue what God has used you uh, in, uh, in impacting the lives of people in Ghana and some of the rural communities. We had some equipment from an organization called MedShare, and we needed to get this equipment in Ghana because we are located in a place where most people around us couldn't afford decent health care. And our hard desire is to make sure that we give them health, the most quality health care, 
uh, in, the, in the most affordable way. And so we were torn between, God, what do we do? Because we need money to send this equipment to Ghana. I shared with my, uh, my brother David and sister Akosia, and some way, somehow, God used this wonderful congregation. And just at the time that the equipment got home, we had two deliveries. Part of the equipment was a, a delivery bed that we needed. And uh, so we have two babies born safely because you gave. And I just want to appreciate you <laughs> for that. So at the right time, at the tail end of the, my message, I will show you a video that summarizes the work that we do in Ghana. Can we bow for a short word of prayer? Father, your word is already anointed. Anoint my lips of clay that I can bring your oracles in power and anointing. I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, O God, will be imparted greatly, that we would understand the cost of having Jesus come down to this earth and dying on the cross. And the mandate we have as believers to go out there and preach the gospel to the rest of the world, that they necessarily, by all means possible, must come to the saving knowledge of Jesus before the second coming of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, Holy Ghost, take over, take over, let nobody see God when let them see God in Jesus name amen this morning i want to share briefly on the theme the call to greater love the call to greater love i take my scriptures from john 15 verse number 12 and 13 it says my command is this love each other as i have loved you then he continues to say that greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. A call to greater love. I had a story about two American soldiers who were fighting one of the battles. I don't remember which one that was. And in the crossfire, one of them got badly hurt. And they did everything to kind of bring him along, but it was, it was impossible, so they left him. But when they got back to the camp, his friend couldn't sleep. And he had it on his mind that I cannot abandon my good friend on the battlefield. And so he asked permission from his commanding officer, can I go back and help my friend? He looks at him like, are you kidding me? The enemy just took over the place. There was so much crossfire. I mean, your friend would have been dead by now. It's unfortunate, but you can't go. He persisted, and the commander wouldn't let him go. But in the middle of the night, he sneaked. And truly, there was uh, a lot of enemy attacks. So he kind of somersaulted through all the bullets and finally got to his friend, you know, through, you know, going through the dead bodies, finally got to his friend and shook him up. And his friend opened his eyes. And before he died, he said this, I knew you would come. And then he died. 
When he got back, the commanding officer said, I told you, you disobeyed. We have to punish. He said, no, you got it wrong. I gave my friend the assurance that he was not forgotten and he was not abandoned. People of God, this is the call that we have been called to as believers. It is not just enough to accept Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior, sit in our pews, come and have wonderful worship. It is not even enough to love people who can love you back. Because it's easy. It's easy to give to people who can give you back. But the call upon our lives as children of God in this end time is to love people who in no way can even say thank you. Is to go out there, go the second mile, and touch the hearts of men and women that you have not met and you will never meet ever on this side of heaven. Is to say yes to the calling of, of, of God. Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son. David Livingston, one of the, uh, the founding missionaries in Africa, says that God had only one son, but he made him a missionary. And when Jesus came in his being, in, in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that being in the very nature God, did not count it robbery to be equal to God, but yet he humbled himself. He took on the form of a born servant, and he submitted himself to death. The Bible actually categorically says, even death on the cross. If I, were, if I were Jesus, being God in heaven, I wouldn't come the way I came to this earth. At least, I would come as a Pharisee. I would come as a royal. I would come as a Roman soldier. I mean, something, but not as the son of a carpenter. Not, not you know, not being born in a manger. Nobody here can convince me he was born in a manger. You can't beat that record. But Jesus left his glory, left his, his, his honor, left everything. And he came down to this earth because of you and I. And he died a shameful death on the cross. That is the call to greater love. That is the call to reaching out to the lost by all means possible. I'm reminded of the, the disciples he chose. He went to the mountain, prayed all night, came down and chose J Peter, James, and John, people who technically were not qualified to take the gospel, but he trained them. You know the reason why he took them? Jesus wanted to prove to us that if he could use Peter, James, and John, that we are more than qualified to take the gospel to the world. And they were so convinced about the love of Christ. They were scared when he died. But after he died and he resurrected and he gave them the command. If you read um, scriptures like John 20, 21. He says, as the father has sent me, even so I send you. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 47. He says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And Matthew 28, 19, 20. That was the great commission that Jesus gave to us that is fast becoming the great omission. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them 
to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you till the end of the age. Jesus commanded them. They took the command seriously. Some of these believers went all out. They were martyred. They, they died for this gospel that we have today. They died. They, they sacrificed their very lives. Apostle Paul, I was in Rome to see where he was imprisoned. None of us can ever endure those circumstances. Both Peter and Paul were martyred in 66 AD. They were beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew, I met an Andrew in the house. So this, this is your, your mentor, Andrew. Andrew went to the land of what we call man-eaters, you know, in the Soviet Union at the time. And he proclaimed the gospel in all of the Asia Minor, Turkey, and Greece. And we're told that Andrew was crucified on the cross for this gospel. That is greater love. Thomas was probably the most active in the area of Syria. We know we see a lot of confusion in Syria. Tradition has it that he preached all the way from East India. He came all the way to, you know, Matonia. And he was stabbed by four soldiers at the same time with a sword. They couldn't wait to kill him. They couldn't wait to, to, to just mess him up because of this gospel. Philip possibly had a powerful ministry in the world we have as North Africa today and then in Asia Minor, he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul and in retaliation, Philip was arrested and he was killed cruelly because he preached the gospel for a Roman soldier's wife to be born again. Matthew was stabbed in Ethiopia when he was giving uh, the gospel to those people. Bartholomew um, served in India with Thomas through Armenia, and also in Ethiopia and Southern Arabia, these guys were also killed because of the gospel. We know how James was killed. That pleased. I could go on and on and on. The story of, of John, how he was fried in oil and was martyred. The gospel you and I have today, that brings us to church every Sunday, was paid by the blood and sacrifice of people who have gone ahead of us. But unfortunately, in this 21st century, I am sad to share some, some, some shocking statistics with you that in our world of about 7.3 billion people, only 29% of us even profess to be Christians. I'm not saying we are Christians. I mean, you, 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 you and I know that people profess to be Christians, but they are not Christians. What it means is that we have over 70% of people in this world who are still yet to hear the gospel of Jesus and to make a decision for God. That is the call to greater love. The, God, the call to greater love is to challenge all of us to go beyond ourselves. Yes, we come to church. Yes, we worship. Yes, we give. But the work is not yet done. We still have many territories. I have some statistics that I probably will leave with pastor because I, I keep an eye on missions like it's nobody's business. Because that is the calling of the end time. The New Testament church was missional in its DNA. I don't know why we have church 
except for reaching out the world for the Lord. And so if you look at the structure of the New Testament church, missions is everything. And any other business they did came out of the desire to reach out the world for the Lord. But in the 21st century church, the opposite is true. Missions is only one of the activities and everything else is important by missions. And that is why it is easy. Anytime there is an economic uh, downturn, the first budget that is cut is the missions budget. We can always do away with that. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the other churches. <laughs> I've had letters in Ghana. God, we, we love you. You know we do. But you know, uh, giving has gone low. And so unfortunately, we have to cut down your budget. I said, praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you. But if we understood the mandate and the calling of missions and the need to have greater love and to understand that the world needs Jesus so urgently, we would probably stop many more things and channel more resources and send many more people. If Jesus left everything and came down to this earth because of you and I, I don't know what sacrifices you can make today that can break that record. Out of the first 16 largest nations in this world, only two of those nations are pro-Christian. The United States of America, and you know the story here. Even though we profess to be Christians, many of us do not really have a relationship with God. And the European Union, that is now breaking apart. China is probably the most populated country in this world. 1.3 billion or 1.4 billion people. And the Chinese are predominantly Buddhists or Shintos. India is the, is, is the next country, 1.2 billion people. We know we have a lot of Hindus and Muslims. Indonesia is the most populated Islamic country in this world. 800 million people come down to uh, the, the, the Pakistan and all those other countries. We have countries like Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Turkey. These were places Apostle Paul did a lot of work. When you read the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, and you hear about the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, they are all in Turkey, totally overrun by Islam. And they control a lot of the world's resources. When you come to northern Africa, we have a, a countries like Mauritania that proudly calls themselves the, 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 what do we call it? The Islamic State of Mauritania. Show me one country that can say I'm the Christian state of that. And Mauritania is 99.7% Islam. Libya is about 97.3% Islam. Algeria is 99.9% Islam. Tunisia, we have a lot of Nigerian brothers here. They will tell us that Islam is contending so strongly with the faith. One time we had our, our brothers in Nigeria come to tell us, Ghanaians, you better stop joking because when the church in Nigeria went to sleep, Islam grew very fast. And they came to warn us to be careful. You don't need more than 10% Muslims in a community to start having issues and problems. 
whilst Islam is strategically spreading, they have an agenda. The Christians are busy doing church. We are busy warming our pews and fellowshipping. We are busy, and there's nothing wrong with fellowship, except that it doesn't end on the pews. Bible says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out demons and heal the sick. And you know the reason why we don't see miracles these days? Because they don't happen in the pews. They happen when we go. When you take the step of faith, the Lord will honor you. I have been to villages that is 100% Islam. And a few times that we've been there, they literally threw rocks at us to go out. And one time I went back. Um, one of the, the guys said, would you guys leave us alone? <laughs> and we're like, no, we don't mean any harm. We are just here to love on you. We are here with our doctors. We are here to show that Jesus so It looks like you, you are Christians, aren't you? You say, yeah. Okay. Our chief imam is sick. Would you pray for him? And I thought that was a trap. They led me through some dark alleys and I was praying. I said, God, I was thinking of what to tell my family. If they don't see me ever again, <laughs> they should just count me as Apostle Peter or something. And we went into this dark room. We bowed, entered the room. I saw the almost lifeless body of this one on the bed. And he said, that is our chief imam. Pray for him. And I told, I remember telling the chief imam that I'm, I'm here as an ambassador of Christ. And I'm going to pray for him in the name of Jesus if he believes. And I prayed for that man that night. I did not know where the confidence came from. We left that village. And at least I'm happy to be alive for that at least that night. And the next day they called me up and they said, Our chief imam got healed overnight. We need you to quickly come and start a church in our community. As I speak, the church of Boti is 100% for Jesus. 100% for Jesus. There are communities who put in a well for about seven years and they, they, they thought that they were suspicious of us. We put in, we call it boho in Ghana. I don't know how our Nigerian brothers call it. Seven good years. I went back to visit them. The chief told me, you know what? We have been so impacted by this well. Our children now can go to school and they shared all the testimonies and they said, by the way, when are you going to build a church for us? We are ready for church. Greater love than this. That is what the Lord is calling us for. We still have 14,000 towns and villages without church. We still have 2 million unrich northness in Ghana without the gospel. And you know what? In all the world, only 1% of the church's resources go into the mission field. Only 1%. So the church's giving is good, but it does not end up on the mission field. Only 2% of trained workers are ready to go to the field. So we go to Bible schools, we learn the uh, homiletics and uh, exegesis and all the courses in the Bible school and they all end up in the small four, four corners of the church. We don't take it anywhere. There is a challenge to greater love. There is a call to greater love. I can go on and on and on with statistics, but I want to leave you with some questions as I wrap up. The first question I want us to think of is that what does the church exist for? What is the mandate of the church? Because if a purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. 
What is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist as a fellowship of believers? I want to suggest to you that the purpose of the church is to reach out the world for the Lord and nothing else. When we empower ourselves, we do that so we can go out there. Number two, what is the vision of the church? Where do we hope to be? Where are we heading to? What is our preoccupation? What is our vision to reach one soul at a time? The church these days is busy doing soul shifting, not soul winning. We move from one congregation to another and from another and another. The resultant uh, force is that we haven't won anyone. We have just moved from glad tidings to the next, uh, next door Presbyterian church to another church. But we are called to win the world for the Lord. What is our vision? Islam has a vision. They are actually getting some of their guys to even marry the Christian women under the guise that, you know, you can still go to church. We will not stop you. But every child you give to them is a Muslim. Because in Islam, you can be born a Muslim, but you cannot be born a Christian. What is our vision, church? How do we intend to finish this great commission, this work? I know Osama bin Laden's name is a curse word. We don't want to hear it many times, but sometimes I'm tempted to learn some lessons from him because the third question is, what is our strategy? He was strategic. If he could convince young people to be ready to die for Islam, then there is something we should learn from him. We should be able to raise young men and women who are ready to die for Jesus. How can we strategically empower our young people not to have one foot in the church and one foot outside the church and have a form of godliness but lack the power thereof? But get them to go out there and be witnesses of Christ. What is our strategy? What is our strategy? How are we dealing with obstacles? The church sometimes do not know how to deal with obstacles. And so anytime we have a challenge, we tend to shift rather away from the mission God has given us. Whether we like it or not, there will be economic recession, there will be economic boom, they will go and come, but we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Finally, I have a feeling that the church is celebrating too early. There is a time where we will all meet at the, at the dinner of the, of, of, of the Son of God and we would all rejoice and sit around the table and thank God that we made it and thank God that we, we challenged the world to the Lord. This is not a time to over-celebrate. We are becoming complacent as a church. We are becoming relaxed. We are more interested in saving our dollars than giving it out. And when we give our dollars out, we want to determine what it should be used for other than soul winning. The final thing I want to say is that if we are going to get this job done as a church in leadership, one, I read a book by Kuzis and Posner, The Leadership Challenge. It's a good book. Get it and read but there's one thing I learned from that book. It says that if you are going to get any work done as a leader, you need to challenge the process. 
Challenging the process means that you need to challenge the status quo. When everybody says why, you ask a question, why not? If everybody says, why should we do this? You ask, why shouldn't we do this? Why shouldn't we win souls? Challenging the process is like David looking at Goliath in the face and he was breathing fear and mayhem on the people of God. And everybody says, we can't do this. And David says, why can't we do this? He confronted that Goliath as tall as he was. He says, you come against me with sword and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And we know the end of the story. David overcame Goliath because he stood and challenged the process. Challenging the process is like Esther, an orphan girl that has been brought into the kingdom of Persia, 127 provinces, and she thought she couldn't do anything. But finally, when she understood her mission, that she was, her mission as a queen was not just to come and look pretty. Her mission was to save the people in, in, under Kinahazaroth. She says that, go and pray for me. I and my mates would also pray. On the third day, I will go before the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. We need believers who will stand and say, I'm going to preach this gospel. I'm going to give to this gospel. And if I perish, I perish. And guess what? People who say, if I perish, I perish, don't perish. Because God will go ahead of you like a consuming fire. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we had four lepers who were sitting there and abandoned to die. And there was famine in Samaria. And they, they were wondering what to do. But Bible says that they finally came to their senses and they said, listen, if we go to Samaria, there is famine. But if we go to the camp, they will kill us. But they took a decision. That there is no retreat and there is no surrender. We are moving forward as a church. We are moving forward. People don't like it, but we are moving forward. And what did God do? Bible says as they move forward towards the camp of the Ramayans, the Lord magnified their steps. Their steps became like the horses of the Hittites and the Egyptians. And their enemies fled. Church, when we begin to move forward, God will go ahead of us. When we begin to go forward, God will bring the resources. When we begin to move forward, God would ensure that victory is ours. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says that you are now about to cross the Jordan to the other side to meet nations greater and stronger than you. And he says that you are afraid, I know, but I am the Lord your God who will go ahead of you like a consuming fire. Don't be afraid, glad tidings. God is on our side. Challenge the process. Go all out for the Lord. If no church would ever do that for God, I pray that you would do that. This, 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 this afternoon, I want to make a, a call, not for people to get born again, but for people to recommit to the mission of the Lord. To recommit. And as we bow our heads in prayer, I want to ask one question. What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to die for? If you are here under the sound of my voice and you have this inner conviction that you want to give more than you are giving right now for missions, I just need you to put your hand on your chest. I want to pray with you. He said, Pastor, I've heard, I'm convicted. I think there's much more that I can do that I'm doing. I need you to pray for me because I'm afraid. I feel like I never have the money to get the job done. 
But today, I want to trust God. I want to challenge the process. I want to see your hand, your right hand on your chest. I want to pray with you. And then after that, we'll see a short video of uh, Meaningful Life and some of the areas we go. I want you to pray. Open your mouth and tell God that, God, I've heard your word. And I need the courage. I need the strength. I need the grace. I want to go. Grant me the strength of the Holy Spirit to go all out.